0: In a stretch of four weeks, Bluebird got approvals for two gene therapies, and each spent time as the number one priced drug in history, but, uh, but that didn't last long
1: either. That's Kevin Dunlevy, a staff writer here at Fierce Pharma. Later we'll hear more from him about the most expensive drugs in the U.S. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line, from Fierce Biotech, Fierce Mentech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is sponsored by City National Bank. Today is Friday, June 23rd, and to kick off the news rundown, we've got my colleague Gabrielle Mason to help me share this week's top biopharma and medtech industry news. So Gabby, let's just dive right into it. What do we have this week?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, if you needed any you know, more proof that high-value pharma M&A is back up and running uh, this year, then Eli Lilly sealed the deal this week. Um, it's paying $2.4 billion up front to acquire um, California-based Dice Therapeutics. And what is Dice known for? So James Waldron um, actually reported this story, and he wrote that DICE has a couple of IL-17 inhibitors in the clinic, um, including one that's currently undergoing a phase two trial in psoriasis. Um, Injectable antibodies against IL-17 have made a big impact in autoimmune disease um, in the recent years. You may have heard of Novartis's Cosentix. Um, So Eli Lilly also already markets an IL-17 inhibitor, the psoriasis therapy TALTS, and is holding out hopes of getting, you know, another drug approved in Europe this year to treat ulcerative colitis. So
1: it already has an IL-17 inhibitor and now another one?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Eli Lilly was clearly eager to seal the deal. In fact, it agreed to pay a 40% premium on DICE's share price to get its hands on the company.
1: Well, clearly, big pharma are, again, willing to reach for the checkbook when a drug candidate catches their eye. Uh, Another story that caught my eye this week was written by Zoe Becker. She wrote that Bristol-Myers Squibb is the latest company to challenge the Inflation Reduction Act in a lawsuit.
2: Right. And Merck was actually the first one to do so. So what necessarily are they arguing
1: Well, Bristol-Myers Squibb is following Merck's lead. It claims that the IRA's pricing measures that allow Medicare to negotiate and set drug prices violate the First and Fifth Amendments. The Fifth Amendment requires the government to pay a fair amount for property intended for the public good. Bristol-Myers Squibb also alleges that the Inflation Reduction Act requirement to publicly endorse Medicare's negotiated prices is forced speech, which breaches the First Amendment's freedom of speech mandate. Uh, Merck used the same argument in its lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Services earlier this month. In that suit, the Merck's attorneys called the pricing negotiation measures tantamount to extortion.
2: Okay, so we have these two companies so far pursuing lawsuits. How far do you think this will go?
1: Well, many other drug makers have voiced their complaints about the IRA, and some, such as Biogen, have said they're also considering pursuing their own litigation against the agency. So we'll see. In another story, Angus Liu reported on AstraZeneca. He wrote that AstraZeneca has devised a plan to potentially spin out its China business into a separate entity. So can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah. So the Financial Times actually broke this news um, based on comments from three people familiar with the matter. And so AstraZeneca is the largest multinational pharma company in China by sales. Um, The Chinese business made up 15% of AstraZeneca's total revenue in the first quarter of this year. So it's doing well for AstraZeneca.
1: Why spin off?
2: So AstraZeneca made the spinoff plan because of concerns of escalating geopolitical tensions. According to one of the Financial Times sources, AstraZeneca appears to, you know, regard spinoff as a contingency plan to protect its remaining business politically if China starts to crack down on foreign companies. So I'd say it's worthwhile to note that, you know, in response to a China business news outlet Um, AstraZeneca's international and China President Leon Wang called the Financial Times report misinformation.
1: Wow. Well, it was a short week for us this week. We all took a break from reporting to honor Juneteenth. So that's all the news we have for today. But I also wanted to mention that it's also Pride Month. And next week, we've got a great segment coming out on our sister podcast called Podnosis. And so that's Wednesday morning, Podnosis. So be sure and listen. Thanks, Gabby, for sharing the news rundown with me today.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I'm so excited to hear that um, Pride segment next week.
1: Me too. You can still participate in our COVID yearbook project. We've extended the deadline to July 5th, so there's still time. So what's the project? Well, it has been more than three years since the US declared COVID a national health emergency. Now it's time to look back at how the pandemic reshaped the biopharma industry. So, we at Fierce Pharma are asking you to tell us your pandemic stories in photographs. Let's make it a reminder of what the life science community can achieve when all its members put their heads together. For complete submission guidelines, take a look at the link in our show notes for today. You can find it at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. After a wave of gene therapy approvals in recent months, the Fierce Pharma team produced a special report detailing the most expensive drugs in the U.S. Many of the drugs listed cost millions of dollars. Fierce's Eric Saganowski and Kevin Dunlevy are here to tell us what went into the report and give us an overview of the findings.
0: Hey, Eric. Thanks for being here to discuss our most recent report, Most Expensive Drugs in the United States. This one usually gets a lot of attention, and it offers insight about important trends in the industry uh, with pricing of drugs. To kick this off, Eric, can you talk about why we decided to compile these rankings right now? Sure.
3: Thanks, Kevin. So as I'm sure many of our listeners are aware, we've seen quite a few gene therapy approvals over the last year. These are one-time intended to be curative therapies, often for very rare and severe diseases. With those factors about these drugs considered, these gene therapies often cost millions of dollars. That's why we thought it was a good time to compile the report right now, to rank all the new therapies we've seen by price, but also to show how they fall among other older drugs. Out of the 10 drugs we highlighted, our list has five gene therapies, including three that were approved in the last year. Kevin, you covered two of these gene therapies. What can you tell me about Skysona and Zenteglo?
0: Yeah, Eric, in a stretch of four weeks... Bluebird got approvals for two gene therapies, and each spent time as the number one priced drug in history, for, but, uh, but that didn't last long either. Uh, Zinteglo came first. That was for a rare genetic condition that requires transfusions, and that was priced at $2.8 million. And next came Skysona, and that was for a rare condition that's often fatal with uh, and only affects boys was priced at uh, $3 million. Now, these prices might sound outrageous, but you have to keep in mind a lot of things about, about these gene therapies. They're single dose. Uh, most of them cure the disease, not just treat it. Many prevent fatalities. And they also replace costly treatments. In the justification of the price of Zinteglo, Bluebird said that those patients may spend over $6 million for transfusions over their lifetime. One more thing to consider is the company's 80% guarantee that the drug will work by keeping patients off transfusions. And by 80%, I mean 80% uh, return of price if, uh, those, if the patient has to go back on transfusions. Eric, now, aside from the gene therapies, what other drugs made the list? Well, half of our list were
3: non-gene therapies, including the leptin deficiency drug Myolept, which has a cost per year of a little more than $1.2 million. This is a fairly old drug for still being on the list, having been approved in 2014. Also, we had Zokinvi from Iger Biopharmaceuticals and Danielza from Ymabs Therapeutics. These drugs carry annual price tags of more than $1 million before any rebates and discounts. Beyond those, medicines from Acrotech Biopharma and Immunocore rounded our our roster of non-gene therapies. Something I thought was interesting is that no drug on the list costed less than $842,000 per year before any discounts, according to the sources we used. We did rely on uh, some public resources, such as GoodRx, to put this report together. Kevin, in general terms, what does the list tell you about where the industry is heading in terms of rare diseases and gene therapies?
0: What well, seems like we're just every year we're having more and more rare diseases, you know, more drugs coming along for those rare diseases and with a lot of them being gene therapies. And if you look at some of the drugs that could be approved this year, it'll be interesting to see the prices for some of those uh, one of the ones that comes to mind of course is Sarepta and Roche's gene therapy for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, um, you, know, you know, likely to be a million-dollar drug. And this year, our number ten drug, uh, fallotin was eight hundred and forty-two thousand. So I think next year we'll see all of uh, the top ten being in the, you know, over the one million range. I would imagine. Something else to keep in mind is that these rare disease drugs won't likely be affected by the IRA, which is targeting. First of all, targeting the most commonly used drugs and won't really be affected by, uh, by some of those price controls. How about you, Eric? Any trends that you saw?
3: Yeah. One thing you, were t- you mentioned about the IRA is that despite all the um, attention on drug prices, a lot of times, these really high-priced drugs aren't the ones that are getting all the scrutiny. The ones that are getting a lot of scrutiny are the ones where that are driving spending. So they're it's a combination of both high prices and a lot of use. These have high prices, but they're not used nearly as much as the the biggest drugs by sales. Um, like you mentioned, I think despite all the you know congressional and public scrutiny around drug prices, we'll continue to see the uh, more expensive drugs climb in price over the years. This is because, as you mentioned, companies are developing and getting approvals for newer technologies, more exciting technologies, and targeting rarer diseases. Um, You mentioned earlier in the discussion, and I think this is another trend that'll continue, is the value-based contracts. Bluebird Bio is doing it with Zinteglo. It's an effective way for these biotech companies to partner with payers and enable access for these drugs that otherwise, you know, parties might not be able to afford. Various ways that companies are doing this are either offering rebates for the full price or part of the price if the drug doesn't work, or spreading the cost over several years, even though it's a one-time therapy. Uh, this is this has been kind of a movement for several years, including for Sparks Gene Therapy Luxterna, which is on our list. Um, those are just some of the trends we're following. Uh, thanks again, Kevin, for getting together to discuss this. Sounds
0: good. See you, Eric
1: that's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.